What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand spanking new episode of Phoenix Down. This is uh, Phoenix Down episode 40. 40.0. We are over the hill. At least, is 40 over the hill? Mm, I think it depends how old you are. Yeah. Usually, usually 40 is when they say, oh, you're over the hill. Give it a couple, give me a couple more years and I'm going to say 50 is the, the over the hill. Right, right, right. So when you get, when you're pushing 40, no, yeah. no, 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 that's not it. You know, yeah. when you get 50, that's when you're over the hill. So, uh, yeah, uh, we are continuing the year of the gear with, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots. Uh, and, uh, with me, as always, is Matthew Quinn. Hello, friends. So, we went from 2005 with Metal Gear Solid 1 to 2009 with Metal Gear Solid 2 to 1964 with Metal Gear Solid 3. And now we're back to the future of 2014. Back to the future. Back to the future. Going back to the future and kind of in the past now. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, originally came out in June of 2008. Um, there was a lot of hype leading up to Metal Gear Solid 4. Uh, it was it was the quote-unquote killer app for the PlayStation 3 at the time, uh, the PlayStation the 3. Finale. What's that now? And the grand finale. And the grand oh, finale. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, this was the game. I mean, obviously, we didn't know Peace Walker or Metal Gear Solid 5 were happening, but I'm pretty sure Kojima came out and said, this is the final act of Solid Snake. Yeah. Um, before the game came out. And... Um, there was a lot of hype going up to it. Um, they, uh, Kojima's always very interesting with the way he reveals shit. And I distinctly remember the, the reveal trailer for MGS4. Um, it started off in a first person view, like a guy, like, like a first person shooter, a guy walking around with a gun and everybody was going nuts. You know, this guy's going around shooting guys and it's in first person and everybody's like, is this a first person shooter? He's changing it up this bad. And then like three minutes into the demo, uh, the guy that you're supposedly playing as gets ambushed by solid snake and gets the crap beat out of him. And then it shows snake running around in third person. And it was like, Oh, it's always, you know, some kind of big twist in his stuff. And there, there was your first twist. Never see that in the final game, but uh, it, it was interesting how he handled that. But yeah, so uh, 2008, uh, it was about, is that about two years after the PS3 came out? Or when did the PS3 come out? Did it come out in 2007? Mm. Let's find out here. I'm, I'm at Wikipedia. Why not? Uh, November 2006 was when the PS3 launched. So it was almost two years 
after the uh, after the system had launched. Um, but going into the history with this game itself, my history with it was I did not own a PS3 until Metal Gear Solid 4 came out. In fact, I had a the Metal Gear Solid 4 special edition PS3. Oh, nice. Uh, the one that was gunmetal. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the most important things that a lot of people don't remember was that when the PS3 first launched, it was completely backwards compatible. It had you, you could play PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games on the system. And about six months later, they removed it because... It was 599 US dollars. And they said that that is way fucking too much. And truth be told, it was way too much. And they wanted to lower the price of the system. Well, the only way to do that was to pull out the PS2 hardware. Uh, so the next models that came out were not backwards compatible. To me, that was almost a deal breaker. I was like, wow, this is crap. I don't want that. I would, I need to get my hands on one of the first, first launch PS3s if I wanted to get one because I have a lot of PS2 games. Um, did you see that recent article that came out where someone at Microsoft was talking about how they were like having a little party when Sony announced the 599 price point? Oh, I'm sure they were. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking ridiculous. And yep. they were they were so again. Yeah, they they were so smug about it too. You yeah. know, it was like you know, it's like people will go out and get a second job for this system. No, they didn't. <laughs> um, but the big thing was was that they announced there was a bundle for Metal Gear Solid Four, and it came with a eighty gigabyte PlayStation Three. And one of the brand spanking new DualShock 3 controllers, because if you remember correctly, originally the PS3 came out with not a DualShock 3. It came out with a six-axis controller, which a piece was, of garbage that was. It was a piece of fucking shit. It was light as a feather, and if you dropped it, it was pretty much broken. My uh, problem is that I always had that issue where every 20 minutes or so, the whole thing would just like lose its connection. Really? And basically like, you couldn't input buttons for a couple seconds. So if you were looking left, you would just continue to look left in a circle until it reestablished connection. That mm. was awful. That happened to me so often. I couldn't wait to buy the new DualShock 3 when they came out with it. So did you get a PS3 at launch? Uh, I couldn't afford one right at launch. Uh, basically when they announced that they were getting rid of backwards compatibility, I immediately like saved up and within, within a month I had bought one or two months. Gotcha. Uh, and so I had a, I had a 60 gig one from the start, which only died on me about a year and a half ago. And I had to hunt for another 60 gig because I still need that backwards compatibility. Yeah. I, um, but that was the big thing was that when they announced this Metal Gear Solid 4 bundle, it was going to be a limited release. They had the regular PS3, and then they had the gunmetal gray one. And I went all out. I went out. I, I, I specifically ordered one 
from Sony, like the Sony trade off. Your, your trade off was no backwards compatibility. No, no, no. It had backwards compatibility, even as an eighty gig. Yeah. It was a very limited run. In fact, I think they did it for probably about four or five months. I can't really remember, but there was a time where they brought back backwards compatibility through emulation, not through the hardware. Um, and I fucking loved that system. Um, it was the, it was the big fat one and it had, it had, it was the beautiful gunmetal gray and, uh, I was so proud of that system, you know, and it came with Metal Gear Solid 4. And you know what I did? The day it came, I took Metal Gear Solid 4 and I traded it in. And then I went and I ordered a collector's edition version of it <laughs> because fuck that cover. That is the most ugliest fucking cover of a Metal Gear game I've ever seen in my life. It is a gigantic picture of snake's old ass face and it looks dumb <laughs> and i saw what the collector's edition one looked like and it was the old art from all the metal gears and i was like i want that one and see i have that as well but it still has the same case inside it doesn't it it does oh yeah it's the, it's the principle <laughs> so um I, I did that, and um, what I decided to do, so I bought a PS3, and the very first game I ever played on that system was Metal Gear Solid 1. I sat down. I had I had it all out there. So I had I had what they called the, the Metal Gear, I think it was the Legacy Collection? I can't remember. It was the Metal Gear Collection. That it, it all came, it came with a PS1 disc of Metal Gear Solid, uh, and it had the PS2, um, Metal Gear 2, and Metal Gear 3. Um, and I had it for a while, and I had it planned out. So I took days off from work, and I was going to do nothing but play Metal Gear leading up to Metal Gear Solid 4. And that's what I did. I sat down. I played Metal Gear 1, beat it in like a couple of hours. I still had that game memorized. Um, then I played Metal Gear 2, took a little time off, slept a little bit, played Metal Gear 3, <laughs> and then I played 4. It was a hell of a, of a, like a four day span <laughs> for me. Um, but I was in fucking heaven. And uh, I played through Metal Gear 4, and I've never touched it again until now. I I reinstalled it whenever I heard that it got trophy support, but I never actually played it again. That's funnier than we're, we did exactly the same thing. Yeah. So that's my history with Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, I was fully on board. I was ready. I, I pre-ordered the special edition PlayStation 3 with the game, got the collector's edition, and traded in the old one. And um, that PlayStation 3 died, and there was no saving it. 
and I, I kind of died inside a little bit when that happened. Cause... I think at that point I would have bought a new PS3 and just tried to like change the like put that faceplate on it or change the plastic somehow instead of like fixing it, just gut it completely and somehow try to merge the two together. <laughs> I, I wish I could do that, but the the PlayStation Three that I I did get was um was uh the the slim model. Oh, see, I still don't have a slim. Yeah, that's that's the one I got. I I, I, I distinctly remember what game killed it. Um, it was a favorite game of mine called XCOM. <laughs> uh, I was playing XCOM and uh, it froze, and I was like, "What the hell's going on?" And then all of a sudden, a yellow light started blinking on my system, and um, I couldn't get my XCOM disc out. And I was like, "Well, that's definitely not going to do," because I fucking love XCOM, and I was like, "I want to play it more." So I did the whole trick of let's go get a hair dryer and heat this motherfucker up. And then I was able to turn it on and I got my XCOM disc out. And then I went to GameStop and crossed my fingers and hoped that it worked while they tested it and traded it into another PlayStation 3. <laughs> Oh, I'm evil, but you know what? There's plenty of people out there that do that, so kiss my ass. Um, and that's, yeah. But so anyway, Matt, your history with Metal Gear Solid 4. It's the same, just shorter. I didn't, I, I was ready for it. Like I said, I bought the PS3 as soon as I heard that they were ditching backwards compatibility uh, because that was a, just uh, an amazing feature for me. I used it all the time. I still use it quite a bit. Uh, so I, I was ready for Metal Gear 4. I was in before it came out. Basically, from the first time it was announced, I was ready for it. I was waiting. Uh, I didn't replay through the older games. I, I don't know why. But uh, it came out. I got it day one. I played one act every night for five nights. Enjoyed the hell out of that week. Similarly ditched it after that, reinstalled it when they were about to patch trophies into it and have not touched it since. Yep. Yep. In fact, I think, I don't know. I, I have a feeling a lot of our listeners have only played this game once. For some reason, I just, for so, I don't know why. It, it was one of those things where MGS4 kind of came out um, while the PS3 was still in its infancy. But by the time I had finished it, there started to have more games come out for it then. And I was like, okay, I'm going to move on to the next games. Um, it was a fun ride, but yeah, there you go. It, it wasn't like I didn't have a bad time with the game. I, I, I distinctly remember enjoying it. I remember it had some very, very, very long cutscenes, and and that was about it. Um, and then there, the act, act three was kind of lame. Um, I didn't like that one section where you have to sneak, where you have to sneak, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but, um, in about one week in about a week. Yeah. So yeah, I should go ahead and mention, um, anybody out there who is playing along with us, uh, 
the next episode that we record, we'll be covering Act 2 and 3 together. We're going to combine those two acts together uh, because I was surprised as hell of how short gameplay-wise it took me to finish Act 1. And I was like, I I think I did it in three hours. I did. Yeah. I did. It, I did it in one sitting. I mean, that that was the thing. It was like I got home from work and just popped it in, and I was like, "Okay, I'm on board." And it, it, Act One was done, and I was like, "Wow, that was." It, it took a little time, you know. It was it was kind of a break. I took a break from Batman for a little while to just give it a shot, and I, I beat it. And I was like, I "Okay." Finished it in one sitting. Yeah, I didn't mean to, but it, it happened that way. And I'm still trying to like go through my mind of like what happens because I, the, the truth be told, I don't really remember much of this game. I remember, yeah, I, I remember really don't. bits and pieces. I remember scenes, but I don't really remember any reasonings for what you do. Yeah. So let's get into that. Like I said, Metal Gear Solid 4 takes place in the year of 2014. Um, Essentially, about five years after the uh, Big Shell incident that took place in New York City. Um, and before we get into what the actual game is, um, there's a few interesting things that we see right whenever we boot up the game. Uh, the first one being the title screen. The title screen is a scene of Snake in a, a cemetery. And um, if you watch that scene and don't hit the start button, um, you see him looking at a grave. uh, And uh, he pulls out a gun, loads a single bullet into it, and then puts the gun to his head. And then it replays. Very interesting. And then when you start a new game... The first thing that pops up is fucking crazy-ass television channels. Yeah, you might be confused as to what's happening. Yeah. And you can change the channel. It's basically like you're watching TV, and you can change the channel. I think there's like five or six channels. I can't remember. Uh, one of them featuring a talk show with David Hayter on it. Like, actually, David Hayter. Uh, and he's wearing an eye patch, And it's so fucking weird. And there's one that's like a cooking show that takes yeah, place in that, a bunker. What would you say, Matt? I said that one's pretty gross with all the, you know, bunker food that they're eating. Yeah. And then there's an exercise one. And there's one that's really weird. It's all, it looks like CG, but it looks like two ninjas fighting each other. Uh, one wearing black and one wearing white. And there's one more, but I can't remember what it is. I think the last one is the one where they're going down like the highway and there's a thing chasing them. And it's like, it's like a giant, I don't know, scorpion, some kind of like amorphous insect thing that's like stabbing down into the street. Yeah. Trying to catch them. Which reminds me, there's actually a, a commercial on normal TV about like, gunk build up in your car and synthetic oil or something that sort of reminded me of this one. Hmm. So yeah, that's, that's weird. 
And you better get used to that kind of weird. Because it gets, this game gets kind of weird, but at the same time, it gets, there's not really a word for it. It gets, and I don't want to say revolutionary, but there's a lot of things resolved in this game. Uh, A lot of information being dumped on you. So it's going to be kind of daunting to take in at times. Uh, a lot of this stuff particularly starts happening in Act 3. So, um, we start off with a uh, monologue of Snake. Uh, and he brings up a, a question that I have to ask myself because I don't know who to believe. I don't know if I need to believe Snake or Ron Perlman because... Snake tells me that war has changed, but Ron Perlman told me that war never changes. So I don't know who to believe on that one. But yeah, that's a dumb, dumb fucking joke. If anybody knows what I'm even talking about, if you ever played, nope. if you ever played Fallout before, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, it's he, he's going on a big monologue about how basically war is commonplace now. The new world economy. Yeah, uh, it's pretty much you know soldiers are a currency. Um, Nano machines control practically everything, um, and they monitor everything as well. So, if you remember correctly, when I'm uh, in the first. Uh, episode of the entire series of Metal Gear and Metal Gear 1, I told you to remember nanomachines because they're going to make a big, big impact uh, later on. And this is the game where they do. So war is commonplace now. And one of the biggest companies in the world, some may even say that these companies pretty much run the world are these companies called PMCs, which are private military companies and rival PMCs. Instead of having like uh, hostile, <laughs> hostile takeovers with, uh, with businesses, they just come in with hostile guns and um, start a war with you. And it goes on all around the world. Now it is a pretty horrible place to fucking live now. And it all has to do with pretty much after the big shell incident, shit kind of hit the fan. Um, nanomachines came into the forefront and companies that uh, developed nanomachines put them into uh, their workers, which eventually turned into soldiers and people started just taking over places. And there was really nothing you could do because you got a super soldier in front of you who was hyped up on nano machines, who is better at you f- both physically and mentally. And it's happening everywhere. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know what I would have really liked to see is some sort of views or maybe even just a newscast or something to let me know what this looks like in the U.S. 
or even in Japan. I mean, this whole first... This whole first act is, you know, the, the Middle East. And that's what was interesting at the time is another one of Kojima's switches is that, you know, the, you think the whole game is set in the Middle East. Right. Um, but, you know, the images in Act 1 are not that surprising. You know, it's it's a lot of militiamen running down dusty streets. You know, it's sort of evocative of Iraq and, you know, a lot of other video games. So that's sort of like you're telling me that this is happening all over the world, but you're showing me something that doesn't really surprise me that much visually. Right. I would have liked to see, you know, some other quick cut shots, cut scenes to see, you know, what effect this was having throughout the rest of the world in 2014. Yeah. And you bring up a good point because we don't really see it that much throughout this entire game except in Act 3. And even then, it's more of a mild uh, feeling. So I think in more conflict areas like the Middle East or in Africa and stuff like that, you're going to see that stuff more predominant. I don't think it is, quote-unquote, as bad in Europe and in the United States, because so you wouldn't see it out in the country. But w- what would New York City look like? Well, I mean, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but we go to Europe in in the third act. In fact, that do we go to London? Is that where we are? I think we are in London. It's been a long it's, time. It's been a long time. But we're in a pretty metropolitan city in Europe. Uh, yeah. For Act 3. And when you get there, it's not a war zone. It is more of a military-occupied zone. Yeah, so maybe some of this is addressed. But th- that was my first feeling, you know, sort of playing through it again, that was the first kind of overwhelming thought that I had while playing this first act was, man, I, I wish, you know, and, and I know we go other places in this game, but I, I don't remember exactly where we go or what the, you know, what, what society looks like. Right. In the all that much. Maybe, so maybe that's all addressed later and I'll just, my question will be answered. Yeah, that's the thing is like we're going to try and explain some of this stuff. But truth be told, me and Matt really don't know because we don't remember this game that much. It's like I was saying, I remember pieces of it. I remember set pieces. I remember kind of big plot hits. But as far as like the world itself, I it's a blank to me. So... Snake is uh, in the Middle East, um, and he is there to investigate, uh, which we get in a flashback that happened like, like a few days earlier. Um, Snake is at a cemetery again, or, or he's at a cemetery when a helicopter comes in and Otacon shows up, and he is there... Um, with uh, Colonel Campbell, Roy Campbell, and uh, 
Roy has some very important information for Snake. At the same time, we get to learn a little bit about what's going on with Snake. Because one of the big things that you'll notice is that Snake is looking kind of old. He's not old. just worn out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. He, he, and not just a little old. Snake looks like he's in his late sixties. Um, still fit for his age, but yeah, absolutely. He's still fit for his age. Um, but he, he, he is looking very, very old. And if you remember correctly, what he looked like in Metal Gear Solid 2, which was only five years earlier, doesn't sound right. In fact, Snake was born in 1972, so in 2014, that would make him 42, mm-hmm. 43, somewhere around in there. So he looks to be about 20 to 25 years older than what he actually is. Um, and Otacon brings up the fact that they don't really know what it is that's causing him to rapidly age. Uh, but it most certainly is happening. Um, but more information on that later. Uh, when we, uh, when Snake goes into the helicopter to talk to Roy, uh, Roy has some very important information for him regarding Liquid. Because if everybody knows correctly, we don't really know who's running the show anymore when it comes to that body. But uh, they have now referred to him as Liquid Ocelot. Uh, for five years, Revolver Ocelot or Liquid, whoever he is, went into hiding. And nobody could find him. Disappeared off the face of the earth. But at the same time, when all these PMCs started coming along... He resurfaced. He's in the Middle East. And they're afraid he might possibly have something up his sleeve. Uh, because he didn't just come out of hiding for no reason. So, the only person that can really know how to take this guy down is Solid Snake. So they want him to go into the Middle East infiltrate a PMC as one of their own and then investigate what is going on with Liquid Ocelot. Uh, luckily, he will not be alone for all of it. Uh, there is a, uh, a CIA group, I believe. They're working with the CIA, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's a CIA group who has also infiltrated a PMC group. So there's two PMC groups fighting in the Middle East right now. I don't know the names of them, but they, the snake is on one side while his, his contacts are on the other at the current moment. Uh, so he's going to have to meet up with them and get some information and hopefully join forces with them to figure out what's going on with liquid ocelot. And that's what his mission is when he arrives in the Middle East. They don't, I don't think they specifically say what country he's in. Um, it may actually be Saudi Arabia. I don't know. Um, so we get to take over a snake. So I, I, I like, I know we're going to be talking a lot about story and stuff like that, but I do want to mention a few mechanics. 
because this game is highly different from any other Metal Gear we've played. Essentially, as befits the, first, as befits the first Metal Gear on a PS3. Yeah. You know, they really do a lot of new new things. So, um, apart from it looking great, which it does look pretty damn good, it still does. And it still does, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. It's, um, there's, there has been a change of pace in this game. While you most certainly can sneak however the hell you want to, you can just shoot up everybody if you want. And that's totally a viable option because Snake's now in a war zone where people are just shooting at everybody. So, so it's not, it's not Snake versus the world. It's now Snake versus these two rival companies fighting each other. And you know what? We can just walk right by these guys. You know, they're, they're too busy fighting the other guys. You know, it's kind of that deal. Um, but at the same time, you still have to be a little stealthy with it because they'll see you and think, oh, it's an enemy. Let's shoot at him. So the, it, it feels very, very differently. It also feels more like a shooter. Yeah. Um, no more hitting the square button to shoot. Uh, it's it's kind of – they didn't go to triggers yet. They haven't They haven't got that far yet. You had to hit the bumpers to do it, uh, which is okay. Um, so, uh, and then on top of that, and help me out here, Matt, because I really don't know how it works. There is now a stress meter, and I can't tell you exactly how that thing works. I know. Yeah, that- it's it's basically just anything that would stress you out starts to raise it. Right. So, you know, being hot, being cold, being open and visible with a low octo camo rating. Uh, you know, when people are hunting for you, it goes up pretty quick. Yeah. And when stress is really high, he um, he loses psyche, which is basically your stamina. So yeah. uh, your stamina, I guess. Yeah. So uh the, the way to combat that is with this new type of technology. Uh, it is a derivative of the stealth camo that uh, Otacon devised. Uh, it is called the uh, Octo Camo, which is uh, kind of a play on words with the uh, optic camo, but also how an octopus is able to kind of blend in with the environment. Uh, and DARPA. What's that now? Which he stole from DARPA? Yeah, he originally stole it from DARPA. Because, um, you know, he he originally created the Octo Camo. Uh, but I don't know why he couldn't just make that again. But he had to steal schematics for the Octo Camo from the DARPA, like the, the real-life DARPA guys. Um, but whatever, it works. And uh, there is a big emphasis on that. So if Snake is to press up against a wall... Or if he's to lay on the ground, the camo that he is wearing will actually change color and consistency to make it look like whatever he's touching at the moment. Which was really cool when it first came out. I, I really liked it, and I thought it was a a much more user-friendly way to have camouflage in the game as compared to Metal Gear 3 where you have to go into a menu, yeah, apply it. Here, 
it's really flu- fluid. Yeah, and it works really well, and it's it's interesting. But it, you know, in this first part, it's not necessary um, yeah. because the first act is really just a free for all. It really is, and you, you can just go in shooting guys, or you can just like you know run around them. Um, yep. Just make your way to this point on your map. Yeah, and that's another thing that's fantastic is that we have a mini map now and it tells me exactly where to go. <laughs> and uh there's a few more gadgets we can talk about. Otacon uh we eventually rendezvous with Otacon and by rendezvousing with Otacon I mean he's still in the airship that we came in on. He is controlling a little robot called the Mark II. Uh, which is a mini Metal Gear with a screen on it that looks a lot like a codex screen. And, More like a cam. Yeah. Uh, and it has Octo Camo. Don't know why he just didn't put that on Snake's uniform, but whatever. And uh, it follows Snake around and sees whatever he sees. So that way Otacon can pretty much assess the situation and deal with it accordingly. Uh, without having, I guess, Snake just tell him what's going on. So, um, and we can control it if we want to. Or I guess Otacon controls it. We're just playing as Otacon while we're controlling it. That's interesting. Hmm, never thought of it that way. Um, and it uh, it brought a few goodies uh, with him. It brought a um, his, his standard uh, M1911 with a suppressor. They call it the operator in this one. Wait a minute. If if Otacon is controlling it, how do you manipulate it in the after act cutscene when Otacon and Snake are having a conversation with each other? Well Is that just something don't worry about it? This is when I say it's a video game. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but he, yeah, uh, Otacon brings uh, Snake his uh, his forty five caliber handgun, uh, along with a uh, twenty two caliber. Well, I think they call it. They call it the Hush Puppy again. Mm. I can't remember. I don't think I have anything called the Hush Puppy. Okay, it may, it may be something different now. It's the MK twenty two. So uh, whatever it is, it's uh, it's it's the um, the tranquilizer gun. Uh, and then uh, he also gives him another special item called the solid eye, which is a almost like an eye patch that Snake don't puts confuse- over his eye. So what's that now? Don't confuse it for the eye patch because then you'll start to get snakes intermixed with each other. Yeah. Uh, if ever since Metal Gear Solid Three, Kojima has decided that. Snakes need to have eye patches, even even when they don't require one. So that's why he gave Solid Snake an eye patch to make him look like Big Boss. Yeah, I feel like that was literally done to to confuse people. Yeah. Uh, But the Solid Eye is actually kind of cool. So instead of having to worry about thermal goggles or night vision goggles, you can all do it through this eye patch. And it also serves as a binocular and a map. 
this thing can do everything. <laughs> and it is pretty awesome because I use it a lot. <laughs> yep. uh, and uh, the battery is rechargeable. That's another good thing. So turn it off for a little while and the batteries recharge. It's 2014. Yeah, yeah. We're in the future, man. <laughs> Who needs batteries? I haven't used batteries in two years. Yeah. That's that's what we do in the future. So uh, now it's time to go meet up with our rendezvous point with uh, our contacts with the CIA. And uh, we make it there. It's kind of like an abandoned hotel or an abandoned bar, a, a restaurant. I can't tell what this place is. Yeah, um, I think it's probably all three. Yeah. And um, – when we get there, we run into a very, very familiar face. Uh, which I take that back. Before we get there, when we're on our way there, there is a really weird scene with uh, a soldier uh, <laughs> looking at a barrel. And uh, he hears noises coming from the barrel, uh, flatulent noises. And when he tips it over, there is a soldier taking a dump. And uh, Snake has a flash. <laughs> so there's another mechanic where if you hit the X button during certain times, you have flashbacks. In fact, there's a trophy associated with it. If you see every flashback in the game, uh, you get a trophy for it. Uh, so I just every cutscene, I'm just holding, the, like hit, smashing the X button the entire time. I wish um, I could basically see what they were showing me, though. Yeah, I know. They, they switch between still images so quickly and with like a, a grainy filter that I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. I see that you're showing me something, but it literally could be anything. And then a lot of times it's stuff from Metal Gear Solid 1, and you're just like, this looks like a, 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 a shitty filter with a bunch of blocks in it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting how they do that. And he has flashbacks to uh, Metal Gear Solid 1 with... Uh, with uh, the the genome soldier who was uh, uh, constantly having to take a shit whenever he was, uh, <laughs> it's so don't even say in this, he had to take a shit whenever he was um, in, in uh, prison, whenever he was locked up, getting uh, tortured by uh, Revolver Ocelot, and uh, that guy runs off with his pants down, and uh, we actually take the barrel, <laughs> and that becomes a cardboard box for us, kinda. And um, so we see that guy. And, and we laugh at him. And we laugh at him, yeah. And then we eventually meet up with, with uh, our CIA contacts, which, like I said, is a very familiar face. Uh, a red-headed woman who's very fi- very feisty. And that is Meryl Silverberg. So uh, Meryl's there. I don't know what year she was born. I would have a feeling that Meryl's probably in her mid-30s now. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, I'm not certain, though. Um, and from what I understand, this is the first time Snake's seen Meryl since Shadow Moses. If I'm not mistaken. I could I could be wrong. I just got in the email. That's a Metal Gear tune. Maybe you guys know that. I wonder what this is. Ah, okay. I was just checking to make sure it wasn't an email for this show. Uh, 
But yeah, so Merrill is uh, our CIA contact. And then everybody starts saying, oh, Campbell put us up to this. But we get a little bit of reveal that we didn't know to begin with. Because if you remember correctly, in Metal Gear Solid 1, Roy Campbell always refers to Merrill as his niece. Come to find out, that's not true at all. It was a liar. Yeah. It was a cover-up. Merrill is actually Colonel Campbell's daughter. She knows this. That's why she doesn't ever want to talk to Campbell again. Uh, but yeah. So we get a little bit of info dump here. Every time we talk to somebody in this game, we're going to get a lot of information. That's why the cutscenes are so long. So we find out exactly what we're dealing with. Basically, uh, Ocelot, or what do you want to call him? You want to call him Liquid? Yeah, I've been referring to him as Liquid. I mean, he is it's pretty much Liquid now. Liquid has taken over Ocelot's body. I mean, he calls him brother. So, um, but Liquid um, has pretty much started his own private military company. Um, and it's basically a revitalization of the Sons of Liberty from Metal Gear Solid 2. They said, mm-hmm. what, what, what are they called in this? I can't remember. Sons of the Patriots? Yeah, I thought that was the whole... Yeah, it is the Sons of the Patriots. But I wasn't sure if that was his group specifically. Or all PMCs? Yeah, all PMCs. Were all the Sons of the Patriots? It could be. I wasn't really sure on that on that point. They they brought it up, but they but they explained a few things. They explained how PMCs work and stuff like that, and it's basically like a large corporation or, or a large company, and um, they they profit on different wars and the outcome of them and how many people die and and soldiers or commodity. It's it's it's, it's very very interesting how they handle that stuff, but they go into detail about how. Nanomachines control everything. They monitor soldiers. They see what the soldier sees. They they feel what the soldier feels. And they can suppress things. If a soldier feels pain, they can make it, they can turn off pain. You know, it's all programmed in. Which sounds ridiculous, but I think as far as Metal Gear and sci-fi go, it's not as ridiculous as... Some other things. I mean, yeah, it's 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 kind of viable. I mean, they've been, but the thing is, they've been using nano machines since Metal Gear Solid One back in 1998 when this game came out. Right. It's I mean, it, anything in this universe. Yeah, I mean, they 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 have they've been using this trope for a long time. Um, I mean, so far as as to was. God, uh, Naomi was able to program the nanomachines in Snake's body to physically not allow him to use a gun. Yeah, that that's quick programming. That that happened in in the first Metal Gear game. So um, this has been around for a while, but it's become such a large scale. You know, only like 
covert operation guys used to get nano machines. Now any Joe on the street can get a shot of nano machines. Um, even I mean, like everybody's got them now, including Merrill and her team and her ragtag team of guys. You got dude with uh, mohawk, which is also a fucking exclamation point. Yeah, that was a fun little Kojimaism. <laughs> yeah, he lifted up. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah, it really is dumb. Yeah. Uh, uh, but smile, though. Yeah. And uh, that soldier who uh, was having too many bowel movements, he's part of her team, come to find out. Johnny uh, Poo Poo Pants. Johnny. And everybody calls him Akiba. And then she also has uh, uh, another guy, and I can't remember his name either. I can't remember the other two guys' names for some reason. Yeah. They don't do very much. They don't. Um, the only people you really need to know is um, Johnny and um, Meryl. Uh, so uh, we have decided to sort of team up um Merrill didn't exactly know what Snake's mission was exactly but Snake is there to eliminate Liquid he's there to kill him uh and that's not really Merrill's mission their mission is to observe this stuff see exactly what these two PMCs have and what kind of abilities they have. So they're kind of, she's not necessarily agreeing with what snake's doing, but she's not going to stop him. Basically. He's kind of like a third party in all this. So, um, am I missing anything from this conversation? Uh, yeah, that's about it for the first uh, first introduction here. The the big emphasis here is, and what they try to drill into your head, is that nanomachines are a very powerful force that can pretty much control a person, which comes into play a little bit later on. So, uh, unfortunately, our reunion has to be cut short for a while because... Um, Liquid's special forces team shows up. They uh they somehow found us. Or actually they found Johnny because he was looking through the binoculars and he supposedly they saw his the 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 sunlight shine. What do you what do you reflection, there you go. The, the sun glint yeah, yeah, the glint from his uh his binoculars and now they're coming to the hotel. And this is a, a very powerful special forces unit known as the Frog Unit. Not to be mistaken for the supervillain unit, which I will talk about a little bit later. But the Frog Unit is uh, made entirely of women. And they have these special suits that allow them to basically act like frogs. <laughs> they can jump on walls. They can hang from ceilings. It's weird. 
They all carry P90s, which is a very fast-firing submachine gun. And they can do a lot of damage if you're not hiding behind something. Yep. Uh, so we have a big shootout with them uh, while we're trying to go downstairs through the uh, the hotel. Yeah, you wouldn't call it a boss fight, but it's more of a... Encounter a fight. Encounter, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like an encounter fight. Um, they, they've had these throughout a lot of the series. Uh, like, uh, uh, for instance, like the, the, the soldiers that are in the, that are using the octo camo in the, um, in the elevator in the first game, or when you're in the tanker level and those, you know, those guys find, um, snake and you gotta, you know, shoot out the lights and stuff like that. So they're, they're, they've always been in here kind of. So we make it through there, um, and we make it to the kind of like a parking deck, parking garage, and this is kind of where we're going to split up. Uh, but before that happens, we get ambushed by one more small squad of uh, frog unit guys, and they're always doing something stylish too. Yeah, they they do backflips, well, putting slow mo from the ceiling, and yeah, and uh, they shoot one of one of uh, Merrill's guys, shoots him in the arm. Uh, shoot, shoots the, uh, the, the, the exclamation point guy. Yeah. And, uh, they take out all the frog guys. And just to show you how powerful nano machines are, uh, they have been reprogrammed immediately to sense when he's having pain or when he's bleeding and, uh, immediately try to stop the bleeding. He doesn't feel any pain at all. He, he didn't even flinch when it happens. And Snake's kind of weirded out by that. He's like, "This, this isn't real. This, this is, this is not how a soldier's supposed to act. You're machines, yeah, basically." You should feel pain. Yeah. So it shows that you're alive, and it may mean something on the battlefield. Whenever you, whenever you, you feel fear, or whenever you feel pain, it, it, it can help a soldier. You know, push through stuff. So we part ways and um, then get introduced to our supervillain group. Um, we don't really learn exactly who, what their names are yet, but I will go ahead and mention that they are called the Beauty and the Beast unit. This, this intro kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. You're just kind of walking down the road, all of a sudden all these bad guys are there and then they clear out. Yep. So, um, there's a bunch of bad guys, uh, trying to push forward through the, uh, the battlefield using a, um, I guess a bulldozer. It's pretty much, it's, it's a bulldozer. Yep. Uh, and there is something blocking the bulldozer's way. Uh, upon closer inspection, it looks like a giant mechanical dog or wolf. Have you? Yeah, it does howl at one point. It does howl. And it is single-handedly holding this bulldozer from moving. Everybody's shooting at it. It does nothing. And then it starts destroying guys. And then all of a sudden, there's some guys backing up into a corner, and something's been hiding in the corner this whole time, and it looks like a giant octopus. Yeah, that's Octo Camo. Yeah. 
uh, and it grabs guys and breaks necks and shit. And then this one flies over and uh, starts dropping bombs and, and shooting flames. Screaming. And screaming the entire time. The rage? Or the rage, I think. Yeah. Um, and then Snake sees one on top of a building, almost like a ringleader. And it's holding these puppets, like marionette puppets. And it looks like a praying mantis. And then uh, after they kill most of the soldiers and the other ones run off, they then disperse and go off somewhere. And Snake is like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> but, you know, funny thing is when something like that usually happens, you have a Kodak conversation, nothing. I guess he feels like he doesn't need to tell a lot of con about that. That's funny because I had Mike Baker was in town for the weekend uh, and he was watching a little bit of it. And we're watching one of one of the cutscenes, and I'm like, I'll bet you five dollars. As soon as this cutscene ends, he drops to a knee and then you start a codec conversation. Yeah, and and they did. I was like, it's so funny how how predictable in a way, but like you can tell that it's Kojima and the pacing. Maybe in this game, as much as any other, is it is awkward. It's a little action and then a long info dump. Yeah, in a little action, and then a long set of like four cutscenes. Yeah, it, it almost seems most pronounced in this game compared to the other ones. It is. It, it most certainly is. Um, there's this is more. It, it goes back to see, see. We played a lot of of Metal Gear Three, and I think we kind of got accustomed to that. But this plays as far as how it's story driven. It is like Metal Gear One and Two. Where you you see something, all right, because that happened, we're going to have to go here. Or because this happened, we're going to have to now go after this thing. So it's it's one of those, like, even though the, the, the areas and the environments feel linear in that sense, they, because you never go back to anything. That's the thing about this. When you go through to a next, to the next area, you don't go back. Like even even in this like this part, the Act One, which is in the Middle East, you never go back to the same place twice, pretty much. Yeah. Um. And it's interesting how they handle that. So because of that, they have to make it story driven. And so you're going to get a lot of cutscenes. You're going to get a lot of codec conversations and stuff like that. Um. Uh, which I didn't mention, uh, but I need to. Is that at the very beginning of the game, we actually get introduced to a new type of enemy. Uh, yeah, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Yeah, uh, the geckos are what they're called. And they're basically like a mini Metal Gear that sound like cows. Yeah, they moo. They moo. Um, and they have mass produced these fuckers. Uh, and, and they kind of become commonplace because it seems like Snake's not surprised when he sees them. Otacon's not either. Uh, they, they're kind of being used by PMCs. But the thing that's kind of weird is that they're not, not normally this many in one area at one time. Uh, so obviously something big's going down here, which is, you know, that, that, that was at the very beginning of the game. So we didn't know exactly what, what that entailed. But now we know, well, liquids in town. 
So he's got some, he's got a lot of firepower up his sleeve. So, um, after we're introduced to the Beauty and the Beast Corps, we, um, we go on our merry way and, uh, eventually make it to the next big cutscene, which is pretty much Snake confronting Liquid. Um, but it's in a massive scale. So there's tons of soldiers everywhere. And Liquid kind of comes out in this kind of like grandstand area overlooking all these soldiers. And he's, he, you know, he obviously he's the one controlling them and, and, uh, telling them what to do. He's commanding them. And, uh, Liquid does something. Um, he has, uh, but while he's, while he's doing all this, there is a, um, mysterious woman next to him. One wearing a hood with uh, dark hair. And uh, we don't know who that woman is. But she is obviously working with Liquid. And uh, Liquid, uh, Snake, Snake comes out. He's, he, you know, he, he comes out of, you know, he's kind of hiding behind a bunch of tanks and stuff. And he comes out with his gun. And he calls it Liquid, you know. And he's like, brother. <laughs> it's so dramatic. It's like, you made it just in time. And uh, he tells somebody, I don't know who, tells him to turn it on. And something activates. We don't know what. And all of a sudden, everybody goes friggin' nuts. Starts beating the shit out of each other. And, and, and screaming and grabbing their heads in pain. Including Snake. Uh, at the same time, we notice that Meryl and her team are actually in the same area, but they're overlooking everything too. Uh, and so they're there. They all fall over in pain, except for one guy. And that's Johnny. Johnny doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He's trying to help people. They're just, they're, they, they're unresponsive. They're just screaming their heads out. And Snake falls over as well and is, you know, going nuts and in pain. And Lick was just standing there, just laughing his ass off at it. Uh, and then he gets into a helicopter and flies off. I did forget one thing, but I'll get back to it. Uh, and so Johnny C. Snake grabs him and drags him to safety since he's the only one not affected by this shit. And um, that's pretty much the end of the act. So did they not make it obvious or was it evident that the reason he wasn't affected I guess it's a pretty logical extension. The reason he wasn't affected is because he doesn't have the nano machines. Yeah. And the and because he doesn't have nano machines, his body can't be regulated. That's why he's got a shit all the time. So they 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 hit they they actually hit more of that later on in the game. Oh, but, okay. But but it's 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 is interesting because. W- there's a couple of things that I need to mention for 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 this one instance. Uh, 
The thing I forgot to mention was that we ran into another character, Drebin. I forgot to mention Drebin. So after we we do our rendezvous with Meryl, and before we run into the Beauty and the Beast Corps, we run into Drebin. And Drebin is this guy who is a arms dealer. He is a guy who basically launders guns is what he says. So on top of nanomachines, and nanomachines do have an effect on this, every gun comes locked nowadays. Every weapon that is in the world pretty much is regulated by either nanomachines or a a special type of imprint uh, that should only one soldier should be able to do it. So this is your gun. There are many like it, but this one is yours, and you're the only person that can use it. So that means if I kill you and take your gun, I won't be able to pull the trigger because I don't have the right imprint. So in these types of guerrilla warfare and stuff like that, people need to get their hands on guns. They go to Drebin. And Drebin can basically wipe a gun and anybody can use it. But there's a few stipulations for that. And it's all regulated through nanomachines. Snake can't use any of Drebin's guns because he's still got, quote-unquote, an old version of nanomachines. So in order for him to be able to use Drebin's guns, which he needs to, he Drebin gives him a shot of new nanomachines. This allows him to use these guns. Um, and Drebin is, is kind of a mechanic where if you find a new gun, you can have it unlocked. Uh, and if you find any duplicates, you can sell them to him for Drebin points. And then you can purchase guns in his inventory. It's this whole big thing. On top of that, he also has a monkey that is in a diaper. That was a long cutscene also. It was a long cutscene. Uh, and everybody burps fucking weird. And like, nobody burps like, eh. What? <laughs> they couldn't just get somebody just to burp? But uh, that was weird. And the monkey drinks soda. And he has a fucking soda machine in his fucking truck. He's balling. Obviously. I mean, he's making a lot of money. They kept referring to to something green. I can't remember what it was called. Um, shit. And I was wondering if it was a real word. It's not green mail. That's um. Fuck, I can't remember it now. Green market was it instead of the black market? It's the green market. I can't remember. Ah, eh, well, whatever. But yeah, Drebin is is one of those guys who he he he's not only a arms dealer, but he's also an information broker, and he can give you information on things, which he will do. At great length later on in the game. So, um, Snake's reluctant to work with him, but he, he, him and Otacon come to an agreement and say, okay, let's, let's, let's at least hear him out, see what he has. He gives you a free gun. So, yeah, so Snake has, um, 
these new nano machines, which kind of plays into the whole thing of why he was affected by these whatever the hell liquid activated. So after the end of the act, Snake obviously gets away along, obviously, and, and Liquid gets away. We don't know where the hell he went. But when we go back to our mission briefing with Otacon, um, Snake uh, is back on his, I guess it's just a, I don't know, what, what the hell would you call this? Is it is it just an air carrier? <laughs> um, but it's also their home? <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to know how they can afford to keep it up in the air constantly. But yeah, that's that's true. Uh, maybe it's a uh, government issued. I don't know. So Otacon, Snake, and this new character uh, all live in this um, this aircraft that's always flying. Seems like, and this new character is named Sunny. Sunny is a little girl who. Um, is a genius, but is also still a little girl. Yep. Um, Otacon has taught her a lot of things about hacking and um, engineering and stuff like that, and she's very well with computers, and she can actually uh, reprogram stuff for Otacon. Uh, at the same time, she is she's still a little girl, so she's very childish um, and very innocent. And they kind of foreshadow it a little bit, about who this is. Um, and I don't think it's a spoiler necessarily, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Sonny is basically Olga Glukovich's daughter. Um, and we find out how she came to be a little bit later on. Um, how she came to be. Well, I mean... <laughs> like... We we find out how how what happened with her in the past. So, um, but yeah, because um, there is a, an elaborate story that goes along with that. So, um, she's she's there, uh, and uh, they all live in this aircraft carrier, or not aircraft carrier as, as a boat um, air carrier. This plane, they live on a plane. And um, during this mission briefing, uh, we get a few, a little, a little bit more of an info dump. Uh, this one being about what exactly is Liquid up to, which we're not exactly certain, but uh, Otacon has received something that could be very vital to either where Liquid is or what he's up to. And Otacon receives an encrypted video uh, from a very familiar woman, Naomi, uh, from the first game. She's a little different in this game, which I need to bring up. If you remember correctly, when we played Metal Gear Solid 1, Naomi was uh, speaking with a British accent. And in this one, she's not. Well, there's a reason why, and it's not has it doesn't have anything to do with story. It has to do with uh, uh, development. 
if you remember correctly, when we played Metal Gear Solid 1, I said that there was a remake to Metal Gear Solid 1 called The Twin Snakes that came out on the Nintendo GameCube. And for some reason, and I don't exactly know why, when they released The Twin Snakes on the GameCube, they re-recorded all of Naomi and Mei Ling's lines. They re-recorded them so that they both would not have accents. They both sound American. Um, and they used those voice actors to come back for Metal Gear Solid 4 to basically... So she's not really British kind of thing. That was just a mistake, apparently. Not necessarily a mistake. I, I, I don't know why they wanted to change that. Um, because every time I see Naomi in Metal Gear Solid Four, I don't think of Naomi from Metal Gear Solid Five or Metal Gear Solid One. She doesn't even look like the same person. Granted, yeah. I was looking at an anime character basically on a codex screen, but. Never associate that person with, with what I see in Metal Gear Solid 4, but it is the same person. Uh, and I always thought she was lighter colored hair. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it was so black. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it, that, that's just, that's just me. Then again, she may have dyed her hair. I don't know. Whatever. But he gets, uh, but liquid, or not liquid, uh, Ocelot, fucking Otacon. Jesus Christ. There's too many O's in this game. Um, Otacon gets uh, Hal. There we go. I'll call him Hal. Hal gets um, an encrypted video from Naomi. And uh, she is actually being held captive, pretty much, by Liquid. And um, she doesn't give out her position, but they're able to figure out where she sent it from, which is down in South America, I believe. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, it was Sunny figured that out, right? Yeah. Sonny Sonny was able to track it. Um and Matt, you're gonna have to help me out on what exactly this video entailed. Cause I'm drawing a blank right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, I know that she wants Snake to come get her. Fuck. What the fuck? All right. This is bad radio, but I'm going to have to look it up because it was something prevalent. And I can't remember it for the life of me. I need to start like playing this stuff like two days before because I played this like a week and a half ago. Um. Metal Gear Solid 4, Wikipedia. There we go. Okay, let's see here. I want briefing is only briefing the game that isn't directly assembled within gameplay. The player must instead exit the game and watch it for the main menu shortly. Oh. I'm looking at the wrong briefing. Apparently, this is the briefing for the the second act, but we're talking about it. Um, 
Here we go. Uh, having recovered from his ordeal in the Middle East, Snake awoke back on board the Nomad, is what it's called. There, Otacon informed him of video messages that they had received from Naomi uh, from Otacon's old address, whom Snake recalled seeing at Liquid Ocelot's camp and whom traces of her DNA were found on the syringe she dropped to Snake. Uh, the message was a plea to be rescued, explaining that the uh, Sons of the Patriot system, uh, its use of uh, third-generation nanomachines, and her indirect role in creating it for uh, her development of the, of the first-generation nanomachines, and that Liquid Ocelot has forced her to cooperate because she was the creator of Fox Dye, and the SOP system is derived from Fox Die. Uh, the mail address included an encrypted map of Liquid's PMC base in South America, where she was being held, although Sonny and Otacon had to retrace the origin due to direct address being faked. Um, so, yeah. Now I remember. So uh the so you were correct in saying that the the Sons of the Patriots is a full-on system that's basically governing all the PMCs. It is the system that controls the nano machines. And um since Naomi was able to create a virus that specifically killed certain people, just certain choice people uh with fox dye Liquid came up with the good idea of, hey, why don't I grab her and make her make stuff for me so that way I can control everybody again? So she sends a plea to Snake to please get me the hell out of here. Um, thus ushering in Act 2. Uh, what now? I said thus ushering in Act 2. Before that, there's another message we get. A live message. We get to talk to... Colonel Campbell again. I have to mention this because there's some some interesting things here. In fact, I think this wiki will actually do very well. Um, message from Royal Royal Roy Campbell confirmed that Liquid's forces were operating in the area as one of Liquid's PMCs, the Purview Armament Armament Pur Purview. I don't know how to pronounce that was acting as the de facto group running the country after uh, the regime had hired them and ended up in shambles. In addition, uh, Campbell referenced Naomi's arrest after Shadow Moses uh, and her escape and speculated that Liquid Ocelot was the one responsible, not Solid Snake. Uh, Campbell also explained that Merrill Silverberg uh, had left the Middle East to continue tracking down Liquid herself um, and uh, was likely aware of Snake and Otacon's activities and Campbell's involvement. Therefore, Naomi was the only lead they had. Roy Campbell also gave clearance for the Nomad to land in the El Dorado International Airport in Colombia. So this is in Colombia. And uh, Snake has been given the cover job as a UN inspector. In addition, he has also arranged for Snake to acquire a 4x4 vehicle. I keep calling them 4x4s, which is essentially a four-wheeler or an ATV, I'm guessing. Uh, so I'm sure they've been in on a four-wheeler 
as him looking like an inspector about as much as he looked like a scientist. Yes, it's true. Very true. Uh, so he can get to the uh, to the armaments uh, security perimeter, and afterwards, it's a solo sneaking mission. Um, and that's it. But another uh, very interesting thing that they don't mention in the wiki, which I will mention here, is that um, while Roy's talking to us, there is a very young woman walking around, bringing him, yeah, serving him like breakfast and shit, and kind of lovingly touching him and shit. So Roy's robbing the cradle over here. Um, but we don't know who that woman is just yet, which we will find out later. And so now it's off to South America um, to uh, hopefully rescue um, Naomi. Uh, I want Hunter, Dr. Naomi Hunter is her name. I couldn't ever remember what her name was. For some reason, I was wanting to say Naomi Campbell, but that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Uh, but Naomi Hunter. So we're going to go to Africa. Well, not Africa. Fucking South America. <laughs> go to Africa and Metal Gear Solid Five, apparently. Um, and we'll go from there. That's the end of Act 1, going into Act 2. And that's where we leave off. A lot of stuff going on in this one. Well, a lot of stuff, given how little time, as you mentioned, it was a much shorter episode than I remember it being. I, I, I'm i not exactly certain how long, but it was not more than three and a half hours. Guaranteed. Yeah, mine, mine was just about three on the dot, I think. Yeah. So we have three emails. Um, unfortunately... One of them I can't read all of because it goes into spoiler territory for the for Act Three and Act Four. Um, and but I promise you I will get to it. I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and save it until we get there. But I promise you I will read it, uh, and I do appreciate the email. But let me um let me bring up the other two ones we got here. Okay. You are going to have to forgive me because I'm not going to pronounce your name correctly. So how that's a disclaimer before like half the emails. I know, um, but I'm going to do my best to try to pronounce your name. Ozdine? Isdine? I Z D I N E. Once again, please forgive me if I mispronounce your name. But I sent an email, and it said, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 is the reason I bought a PlayStation 3. I picked up the Metal Gear Solid 4 PlayStation 3 bundle in 2008, and what a console at the time. SD cards, SD card slots, four USB ports, PS1 and PS2 backwards compatibility, Etc. Anyway, I digress. Uh, 
the game was the shining jewel that allowed Sony to show what the PS3 was capable of. I was a bit put off at first by Old Snake's age and looked and looked, um, but was immersed in the game soon after and forgot about it. What a graphical marvel this game is. Unlike many, the long movie-like cutscenes uh, did not annoy me. Uh, I savored every bit of it. Uh, finally, to cut this email short, I want to mention my biggest disappointment with the game. I completed the game twice, once on normal and the second time on Big Boss Extreme without killing anyone and being detected a single time. I tip my hat to you, sir. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, uh, I obtained the bandana and the stealth camo only to realize a few years later that I didn't have the trophies to brag about it. Uh, yeah. Uh, trophies weren't patched, were patched later, but I never found the strength to go back and do it again. Thanks for the show and keep up the good work listening every week. Thank you very much for that email. And, um, you are a madman because <laughs> there is no way in hell I could ever do <laughs> the big boss extreme. Although I know we do have, we do have another listener who is currently playing the game on big boss extreme. Yeah. Impressive. Yes, absolutely. Anybody who can do that, man, you deserve a medal. <laughs> and we have one more email from our uh, resident Metal Gear first timer, Jamie. She's got a long one. Is she sending these emails continuously too? It's fucking amazing hearing something like this. Hear, hearing somebody who has never experienced these games before, it is so refreshing. I'm so glad there's been there's actually one person out there that's never played these games, and they're listening to our show and emailing us. <laughs> you can't understand how happy that makes me. And like I, I told her on Twitter. You don't understand how proud it makes me feel to know that I got you into Metal Gear. <laughs> uh, so much in fact, she's got two awesome shirts that I really want <laughs> of Metal Gear. So she says, hi, guys. And I, I'm, I'm reading this verbatim. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to sound as, as enthusiastic as I can. Are you going to do it in character? I'm going to do it in character. Woohoo! Snake is back. I'll be an old and depressed snake. <laughs> Although I shouldn't talk. Uh, I get one new gray hair and I'm depressed. <laughs> uh, accelerated aging, huh? Interesting. I don't know much about it, but I'm hoping Otacon can find a way to save him. Yay for Otacon. I miss that guy. It's so nice to have him around again. I also love that he is following Snake around, kind of. It does get a little annoying when he starts yelling at me for going the wrong way, though. I just wanted to loot that dead guy. Calm down, dude. Uh, I have a bit of a beef, hearty har har, <laughs> with the moo machines. <laughs> uh, I mean, even Kojima can go only go so far before it's too ridiculous. Uh, I read online that it's supposed to make soldiers feel more at home and uh, therefore off their game psychologically. Does Kojima think that all Americans are farmers or ranchers? What the fuck? I come from a ranching area and I grew up on a farm and that's not 
at all comforting. I'm not a trained soldier, but that's just stupid. How could a guy who is so often genius with these games also be simultaneously so dumb? <laughs> oh, it gets worse. Religious. Yeah, it gets it gets really worse. Um, so here. All right. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of storyline so far, so I can't really comment too much. I feel like there's there is a story with Johnny, but I'm not sure what it is yet. There is a story with Johnny. I can promise you that. Uh, it's nice that Meryl is back and she's pretty kick-ass. I'm assuming that that the only reason that people were reacting to the gas or whatever was happening when Snake found liquid has to do with nanomachines. But Johnny was okay, so he doesn't have them. Which is weird because I thought the reason they showed him being so scared and having stomach issues was uh, supposed to symbolize that giving anyone nanomachines could make them a soldier even someone not predisposed to that lifestyle. Did we really have to steal his poo can to sneak around <laughs> in though? That's gross. All right. Anyway. Um, but yeah, um, that, that was one other thing I forgot to mention was that Johnny is basically a klutz. Um, he, he, he's, he's a decent soldier, but he is not in sync with the rest of his, his group. So like basically nano machines will tell you when your partners are hurt or what your partners see, you know, and you react to it almost instantly. Johnny's not like that. Johnny, Johnny is, is his own person, you know, and everybody looks at him like he's, he's an idiot, which he may very well be an idiot, but at the same time, he's normal. Unlike the rest of these almost robotic people. Anyway, uh, anyways, it took me a long time to get the controls figured out. I'm so used to shooting with square now, but I love that I can crouch walk. Yes, crouch walk. I forgot to mention how awesome crouch walk is. Holy shit. Why did it take three games to finally get crouch walk? <laughs> um, and uh, that I can move while aiming. I've killed 83 guys already, and I was trying to do this sneaky style. Bang goes that plan. <laughs> it's much harder to just push through, though. Uh, those guys kill me pretty quickly. Moon machines aside, I like it, and I'm having fun playing. I'm pretty neutral with it right now, though. Excited to see some storyline unfold. Jamie. Uh, thank you for that email, Jamie. Um, like I said, we did have one more email, but it does go into spoiler territory for later acts, and I don't want to um, I don't want to get into spoilers, um, particularly for Jamie because she has not um, played this game before, and I want it to be a big surprise because I love hearing her emails and how she's experiencing this for the first time. Because what an experience this game is going to be. Because it's all flooding back to me now. Some fucking shit goes down in Act 3. And some revelations and stuff. And then Act 4 is... Insane. And then Act 5 is... You know... It, it, it goes... It, like, it never comes down from that peak. It keeps climbing. So so you're on a roller coaster right now. 
and we just left the the entrance and now we're going up the hill it's a little crazy you know we got we got moon machines and and shit like that and liquids there and the nano machines and shit and then we're just going to keep climbing and climbing and climbing but we never actually go over the hill it just keeps going crazier and crazier and it never comes back down to reality it goes it goes even crazier like even even after the credits it goes crazier. I swear to God. <laughs> There's even rumors that were spread that weren't true, but I will bring those up later. There was rumors about something as far as a time mechanic goes in this game that had everybody booting the system back up to see if it was true. And I did it myself. So... I'll talk about that after everything because it's part of the story. So, yeah, that's just this is just the beginning. Act two, I think, is crazy as far as gameplay goes and stuff like that. We, I, I will. It's not really a spoiler, but we do finally get to meet one of the the Beauty and the Beast people in this in this next act. And they're kind of crazy and weird. And I think this is the only boss I really remember fighting. I remember the other ones. I remember, um, you know, there's there's two of them at night. Um, and um, yeah, the, I I remember them all. I don't I don't I don't remember exactly what you have to do to beat them. But um, I, I do remember all of them. So, um, but yeah, we, we, we get some revelations in the next act. Act three is where we're going to get a lot of it. Um, but like I said, our next recording um, will be covering act two and three. So anybody playing along with us got some homework to do for the next week. Um, because we're trying to give ourselves a little bit of breathing room because we don't know. We have a plan and I love it when a plan comes together, but sometimes a plan doesn't come together. <laughs> and, uh, at the current moment we have breathing room for one week. Uh, and I kind of want to get two weeks in there just in case we may not need it. Who knows? But you know, it's, it's one of those things where, I'm surprised that it only took me three hours to get through the first act, which makes me think I can play, you know, I can play this game for three days and have act two and three done. Yeah. So, and I'm done with Batman. I finished Batman. So my schedule is kind of clear right now. Oh, perfect. And if we do have an extra week, maybe we fit ground zeros in there. Oh, absolutely. Ground zeros. Easy. We could, truth be told what we could do. Is that the last episode of Peace Walker? We could go right into Ground Zeroes in the same episode because Ground Zeroes it it takes it, I beat Ground Zeroes the first time I ever played it. I beat it in an hour. So that's up to you. If you want to do a full off episode covering Ground Zeroes, we can. Yeah, we'll see what happens when we get closer. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna cover that. 
we're going to cover Act uh, Two and Three on the uh, on the next episode, and um, we'll uh, we'll get back to you on that. So that's pretty much it for us. I appreciate every email we got. Like, like I told you, I will get to that one email that we didn't talk about. I swear to God, I will save it and I will talk to talk about it when we get toward the end of this because, it, like I said, it does get into spoiler territories. Um. But yeah, if you'd like to send us an email, let us know about Metal Gear or Metal Gear 4 or whatever you want to talk about. You can send me an email. It's drew at ztgd.com. Um, you can also tweet to us. We're all on Twitter. I am at DML Fury and Matt is at REMGS. Uh, you can also follow the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Post all the episodes there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, throughout, you know, give reminders of, hey, we're recording tonight. Get your emails in, stuff like that. So, um, you can, uh, definitely follow us there. And that's pretty much it for us. Um, it clicked for me. Um, just, uh, whenever I, I, I booted the game up and it was weird to begin with, with all the weird channels and stuff and, 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 and the intro and stuff like that. But then when I sat down and actually started playing it, I was like, yeah, this is, I was surprised at how well it did play. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm, and I'm really digging seeing the rest of this game. Cause again, I, I don't honestly don't remember all that much of it. I remember liking it and I'm not having a problem with it to start with. So I, I don't foresee any issues. And uh, I, I really, I really wish I just had an extra day off where I could just play through hours and hours of it nonstop. Right. But yeah, that's, um, that's it for us. We're going to, we're going to take off for now. Um, but we will be back next week, uh, to, um, to continue Metal Gear Solid 4. Going to get into the craziness. We're climbing. We're going to make that peak. And then we're never going to come down. I, I mean, it's, there is no like, woo, and then we're, you know, man, that was crazy, right? It just keeps going. They like, I, I can't stress that enough. This game is fucking nuts. <laughs> it really is. But anyway, yeah, we've, uh, we've talked for a while here, an hour and hour and a half so far. So, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's it for us. Uh, until next time, I am Drew. And I'm Matt. And we're out of here. Hope you guys have a great week. And we will be back next week with the continuation of Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots.